Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to another edition of Mustang Owners Podcast. Today we're joined by Lee Mansell. The name may not be familiar unless you've come to the museum and read some of the literature, but what you would be familiar with is that uh, he and his family are the owner of 0004, and that is one of the 12 convertible Mustangs used at the New York World's Fair at the Ford Pavilion that uh, would ride around the track made at uh, made by Disney, no less. In fact, Ford had put together a, a ride that included anything that Ford would make a convertible. They had 12 of those vehicles, from Continentals to Mustangs, Thunderbirds, what have you. So uh, it was it was quite an event. And in fact, I understand, uh, and I don't know if you knew this, Lee, that uh, at the time, everybody wanted to ride the 1964 Mustang. Everybody would wait and say, nope, I don't want to ride that car. I want to ride that one. They'd see a Mustang coming up in the line down down the way a bit. They actually had to create two lines. One was for Mustang only. One was for everything else. So that was the only way they could actually kind of organize uh, the riding platform there at, the, at that show. So it was kind of neat. But anyway, I got off topic there a little bit. So anyway, Lee, welcome to the show. And we look forward to hearing your, your story and talking a little bit about your dad and how he came about the car. So uh, first of all, let me welcome you to the show. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate being on, and it's an honor to be on and, and talk with the fellow Mustang enthusiast. Uh, like I said, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to talk about Dad's car. Well, it's it's a great car. It's been a great. We've had we've been blessed by having it since the uh, since the opening of the museum. It's a car that a lot of people just come oohs and ahs about. Uh, just you know, they just, well, what we try to show is a variety of Mustangs here. And to us, that's one of the more important of vehicles because it was there during the announcement of the Mustang itself with by Lee Coca. So I want to kind of jump ahead a little bit. Did, how did your dad come across this car? I should say, and I shouldn't use the word dad. How did John Mansell? your father uh, come across finding this vehicle or what was it something he was looking for or something he kind of stumbled into uh, if you would just share us a story about the car and I'm sure there will be more questions from there but let's just start with how why was he looking was it well how did he come across the car well, it's kind of a long story dad's always been a car enthusiast and, and was into cars I spent most of my vacations in junkyards trying to get parts for cars he fixed up one of the first cars he fixed up was a Model A Ford 31 that we rode around in, but he was always looking for cars uh, in respect of used car lots and, and just uh, you name it. So he had a friend who worked for the Ford Motor Company and Mustang was really big at that time. And, and uh, Dave Rehor, who was his friend, said uh, he noticed a bunch of the Mustangs were coming in to the uh, lease lot, as they call it, or executive leasing lot, and they're coming up for sale. And he was thinking about purchasing one and knew dad was into unique cars and Mustangs. He showed some interest in it. So uh, dad went up there and looked over the lot. There was probably half a dozen Mustangs there and took his his father-in-law, uh, my grand grandfather, and they sorted through and, and looked at them. And uh, they came across, obviously, some low serial numbers. He wrote down some of the serial numbers he saw there, came across this uh, serial number 004, showed interest in it. And uh, at, at the time, he shared with me, it wasn't so much the serial number four, 
but it was the one with the least amount of wear and tear on it. Uh, some of the other ones have been driven, obviously, Detroit weather, Detroit, Michigan, where, he, where he's at. So it's some rust on them and it's worn and torn, you know, and it needed to be fixed up. So this one had at least been taken care of and looking back on it, it had been refurbished when it got back from the Magic Skyway of the World's Fair. And when he talked with the leasing guy, he shared it was from the World's Fair. Dad had written that down and, and obviously low serial number. And he decided to choose that one. And his friend Dave Rehor, I think, picked up serial number 125, I think, and purchased it. So they both purchased uh, two Mustangs uh, at that time. And and actually, Dad didn't purchase it. My grandpa purchased it because he just got out of the Navy and was starting his practice. And we were building a house. So he didn't have much money to spend. So uh, my grandpa basically purchased it for him. And he drove it around for uh, a year or two and actually took it out to, to California uh, and drove it out there and back. And then actually put an air conditioner in it. But dad, when he got it back, he took it out because he wanted everything original. But originally he, he went purchase it and he ended up having uh, my grandfather purchase it for him. And then he purchased it back from him a year later uh, when he had the money. Well, that's a family story if there ever was one, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So but you, let's go a little bit into your father's background with cars. Now, you talked about Model A. Um, and uh, and obviously he bought you know had the world's fair Mustang, but did he have other Mustangs that were part of his collection, or he had at one time, or the world's fair car, the only Mustang he had? No, he had other Mustangs. He was quite the car collector. I have to share it's uh, it's a little overwhelming, but uh, he had I think in our barn and whatnot that he had out in the country close to 120 cars in various stages of repair or disrepair, <clears throat> as in you know, parts cars, but uh, he had quite a few, but he had, uh, I can't remember them all, but I, I think about five or six Mustangs. He had a 64 and a half, which is, you know, one we drove forever. Um, he did pick up a 73 convertible um, that had a 302 in it, three speed uh, with the light blue. He picked up a 79 pace card. He was always into the pace cars, uh, Indy, Indy 500 pace cards. So when that came out, he picked up a 79 Indy pace car, uh, I think at one point he picked up an 83 convertible and then uh, I think he had an 88 GT and then a 94 Indy 500 pace car. Um, so he, the pace car always intrigued him, <clears throat> be it Ford or Mustang or whatever. We had quite a few of those, those pace cars. Um, but it's funny with the 73, people probably don't know it, but back then uh, Mustang was talking about doing away with convertibles. They were just going to do away in 73. So that was the last year. Uh, that they were going to do it. So dad was trying to get, you know, the first Mustang convertible and then the last Mustang convertible. So he actually ordered the 73 Mustang late in the year, trying to get a late production model to kind of have the first and last. I can't remember how far it went in, but I remember him trying to, to stage that so he would have the first and last convertible Mustang. Now, we all know that changed a few years, uh, I forget, 83 or whatever. They started back up with the convertibles back up, but that was his thought processes clear back in the 70s uh, to get the first and last Mustang convertible. Oh, that's interesting. So he actually, as a hobby, he actually has some more, he has some defined uh, ideas what he was looking for in the way of Mustangs and such. So would Mustangs be kind of as the predominant car they like to collect compared to some of the other models he may have had? Oh, definitely. It was, it was always Mustang. And then I think at one point we had a 68 Torino pace car, but it, it was usually in the category of it was a convertible 
Ford, and then it was something unique about it. The engine, bench seat, transmission, uh, you name it. He always kind of like unique production numbers and always seemed to keep track of that. But he had some other unique cars. He had a 53 Corvette, the first year they made the Corvettes. Also had like a, a 42 uh, Chevy, I think Super Deluxe. Then we made a few of those because of the war years. Um, he also had a 1946 Willys uh, Army surplus Jeep that we drove around for years and years. I used to actually plow the driveways in the neighborhood with that for years. Um, but he always had a unique interest in various cars. Um, but predominantly, you know, it was Mustang, convertible, or a Ford product. That seemed to be the, the mainstay. Gotcha. Well, I know uh, we'll go back to the World's Fair Mustang. Although your dad was, as we talked about, a bit of a collector and he restored and, and found cars and such. The World's Fair car, though, was actually used as a family vehicle. Um, as I understand. And so it wasn't something that just bought and put away or, you know, kind of covered up or going only, you know, only used for certain days of the year for a parade or a car show. Uh, the family actually used the vehicle. And I was just kind of curious if, um, I know when you've been here at the museum, you've kind of shared a few little stories of things that have happened that uh, make the car kind of unique, I guess, and because uh, of some of the things that uh, you're, you remember as a, as a child riding in the car. So I hope you don't mind sharing some of those stories, uh, you know, the teeth mark and other things like that, because I think that just kind of shows it's, you know, it was definitely the car the family drove. Oh, definitely. It was definitely a family driver. Um, if it, dad wasn't driving it, mom was driving it, and we drove it everywhere. We would uh, either uh, just go to the grocery store or weekend trips up to Lake Erie. We had a you know, family of six, so three of the kids would sit in the back, and unfortunately, since I was the youngest, I got to sit on what's called the penalty seat in the middle, which is the hump, but uh, we used to go everywhere in it. Um, it was uh, dad's daily driver for a while, so he uh, ended up getting another vehicle, I think with the 68 Trino, and then it becomes mom's daily driver, and she would drive it around to the grocery store and whatnot. And uh, I still remember uh, back then, uh, really didn't use seatbelts like we should these days. And I would always lean up on the on the edge of the passenger side. And uh, ironically, I was born in, in 64 in June, so 64 and a half fits me perfectly. So I would sit on the edge of that, the uh, passenger side and kind of teeth as a you know, two-year-old or three-year-old on the edge of the dash and actually bit a hole in it, which is still there today, uh, if, you, if you look at it at the museum. And uh, dad was really unhappy and actually ended up buying a dash to replace it, but he never, he never uh, replaced it, which is kind of interesting. I still have the dash to replace it wherever I want to. Uh, I remember that story uh, going way back. Um, in respect of, and then also, you know, back then you didn't have seatbelts. So it was always the, I called the mum belt where she would stick her right arm out when she would stop fast or something like that. But everybody liked to drive it. Every time a relative would stop by, they, they'd want us to get this out and do parades or, or drive around town. We always, it always was a daily driver. We later on knew about the significance of the magic skyway and, and, you know, low serial number, but for us, we, we drove it all over the place. I know my, my sister a couple of times lost hubcaps and we had to go back and search for them uh, to see if we can find them because they were unique hubcaps. One time she lost the fuel cap, left it at the gas station, which I don't think anybody has let her live that one down. We went back to try to find that. There's a lot of stories that go along with that and, and remember it uh, fondly as growing up, uh, spending a lot of miles driving around uh, with my mom. 
Well, I think those those kind of stories you relate that we probably have all done that with our own daily drivers where we've lost something or something happened. Uh, you're going to say, oh, there goes a hubcap or gas cap or what have you uh, to it. So that uh, that's just, you know, that happens, unfortunately, but uh, obviously just shows that the car itself was a daily driver and such. So I'm curious, how, how long did the family use the vehicle then as, as a, well, I don't say a, a, a daily, but maybe occasionally driven car before this, the thought was, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be driving this as much. Maybe we should be putting this away or store it or what have you. So I was kind of curious a little bit about when did, when did that thought process or conversation come into play? So dad picked it up, I think it was 60, uh, June of 65. Um, and then, Grandfather drove it out to uh, California and back. Um, then he purchased it a year later back from him, and we drove it. So that would have been probably 66 and drove it continuously into the uh, early 70s. We would uh, think Dad, at one, well, when he got the 73 Mustang, uh, that became the Mustang, if you will, convertible that he drove. And, and then we did drive the, the, the black Mustang, 64 and a half, uh, intermittently. We typically like to get it out, and a lot of times Dad would cycle it out in the uh, summertime so we could enjoy the top down and then put it in so it wouldn't get exposed to the salt and whatnot during during the winter. So we probably drove it into 75, 76 with summers and whatnot, but always seemed to, you know, we probably, as a daily driver, it stopped during the winter months. It would probably be a, a 74 time frame, and then from there we got it out during the summer for people to drive or enjoy and, and go on road trips and whatnot in Pennsylvania up to, to Lake Erie. And one time we used to get down to the Pirates game. We were big Pirates fans back there, Pittsburgh Pirates. And we drove down there in a car full of kids, my friends, and, and some of my cousins. And uh, and on the way back, we kept hearing this noise and stopped off at a gas station. I said, oh, the wheel's fine. And we kept hearing it. And we're driving back from the, the game about, I don't know, 1030 at night, driving uh, uh, along two-lane road, and we stopped at a red light. And as we stopped, we like hit a pothole, just a big bump. And then all of a sudden, we saw a tire shoot out in front of us, which was our tire, <laughs> across the medium street and go in the ditch. And we had lost the tire. So we had, uh, we had to stop and get it jacked up. Back then, obviously, no cell phones, no anything. So we had to find a pay phone to call uh, my dad. But luckily, we had some Good Samaritan stopped by and we were able to jack it up and take a lug nut from each of the other wheels and get the other wheel on after we found it in the ditch and drove it home. So there's a lot of stories that go along with, with the Mustang and as, as we drove it around uh, when I was a kid. Well, that's 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 a scary story. <laughs> I I've had that happen somewhat similarly to me with my '66 fastback, but that's another conversation. But um, I noticed in the in the notebook that you prepared for our, our visitors to see, it it was actually at the uh, Carlisle uh, 45th anniversary of the Mustang, which was in 2009. Was that when the car started started to kind of come back out a little bit? Um, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, had it been restored or to what level? Of, of work had been done to it so that uh, it was out uh, to be shown again. So I was kind of curious because um, obviously in the, in the book, it talks about being stored for some 30 odd years. Kind of curious what made the thought to, Hey, let's, let's kind of, let's put this car back out to the public a little bit, which is great. But I was just kind of curious, was this something that the Carlisle people contacted you or is this something your dad wanted to do or just kind of curious how that came about? That's a great question. So it, it was, it was a joy the process of getting out, but it all started, uh, I think, uh, 
I was uh, driving into work and uh, listened to NPR radio, and they brought up that John Clore was going to be at Good Guys in Columbus, Ohio, where we live, and he was going to be signing this Mustang book. And I was thinking, Mustang book, this is perfect for dad. Uh, I'll get a get an autographed copy. This is perfect. This is about the car and, you know, just, you know, perfect dad book. So fortunately, due to a lot of stuff going on that weekend, I didn't make it to Good Guys, and I was like, ah, I blew it. So. Fortunately, uh, Rich Downey, my, my brother-in-law, who was in the cars and actually worked for Classic uh, Design Concepts um, up in Detroit, was and they worked on Mustangs. I think it, the owner was George Kuzma, I believe. They were going to a, a, a show in Birmingham, Alabama, and I had heard that, went online and found out that John Clare Floor was going to be there signing books. And I said, hey, Rich, can you go ahead and get this uh, book signed for me for Dad for Father's Day coming up and whatnot? He said, oh, sure, no problem. And I said, well, let him know that we have the fourth Mustang made, and it was at the World's Fair. He goes, oh, you know, you sure about that? I said, yeah, yeah, you know. So he goes down there and gets an autograph and calls me back and said, do you realize you have a rare car? And I said, yeah, fourth one made, you know, and it's at the, I said, you sure about that? Because my notes show me only Wimbledon White, you know, cars were there. This is a Raven Black car. And I said, well, actually, we got pictures of it at the World's Fair, so that's kind of anomaly there. And he said, oh, let me check into it. So he starts sharing with all the Mustang people down there, John Clore and the others. Of, he comes back, do you realize how rare your car is? And I said, it's rare, but we didn't realize it was that rare. There's only one other uh, Magic Skyway car known from the, from the, the first round that, that, that went to the World's Fair. So he kind of talked us into, hey, you need to get this out. And so we went back and got it out and a lot of work. We had to move like three or four cars to, that wouldn't start in dad's barn. and. It's a, it's a long story, but as we were getting it out, we there's obviously an old tin barn. There's all sorts of critters in there. And we heard a critter in the far corner, you know, scratching and whatnot and making all sorts of racket. And the next thing you know, we hear this sound of an animal coming towards us as it went under each car because the cars had plastic on it and were covered up, you know, to protect from the dust. And you could hear it every time it hit underneath one of the cars. And sure enough, as we're standing there, Rich and I, we jump up on the car and out shoots a raccoon from under our feet out the open door. So it was uh, quite a, uh, a trial, but uh, it was a lot of fun. So we finally got it out and got it running. It took a lot of work, obviously, but once we got it out, we were able to get running and and uh, then uh, loaded it up uh, into the trailer and took it to Carlisle. So we, uh, we cleaned it up as best we could. We had the original top, uh, you know, just, just cleaned it up. There was a lot of uh, uh, rodent debris, if you will, um, and nuts and you name it, nests that we cleaned out. Um, but we did get it started that day when we got it out and worked on it. So it was, it was, it was a joy to get it out and, and let it see sunshine and get it over there. We had another story and on the way, Rich and I were driving, we had a trailer to, and, and we had run a bunch of errands in Pittsburgh before we headed out of the turnpike to go to Carlisle. We get about, I don't know, 40 or 50 miles on the turnpike and realize that with the wind in the mountains that we weren't getting the gas mileage. And then out of nowhere, we ran out of gas as we were going up this big hill. So here we are with the uh, truck and trailer out of gas on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. So 
we deduced a plan where there was still gas in the, the Mustang, the 64 and a half. Granted, it was probably 30 years old, but uh, we had a siphon. So we went ahead and siphoned the gas out of the, the Mustang, got it up to about a gallon and a half or two gallons, poured it in the truck, drove uh, 10 miles to the next service station and, and filled up. So we've had quite an adventure just getting it there. So, Well, a car guy would probably want to ask you the question, what tastes better, good gas or bad gas? Oh, it was terrible. You could, it reeked. It was rank. Oh, um, no. But it was, it was quite, a, you know, if you ever been on the interstate, especially the turnpike with, oh. the, you know, semis coming by and, oh, it was, uh, we, we weren't sure if we were going to make it through the day with uh, all the shaking going on when we were inside the trailer. I can hear that. It's kind of funny, though. Uh, the Mustang world is a small world and sometimes it's interesting, the karma. Uh, what you probably were not aware of is that uh, in 2009, Ford asked us to create what was going to be a superstore, a Ford superstore at that event in Birmingham. And so we, we, we did that. We were working with Mustang Club of America. We put together this large tent. We had all this merchandise in there that was Mustang related and such. And I get a phone call from a gentleman and he says, yeah, I just wrote a book and I understand you're the guy I need to talk to because there's not really space available for vendors. But I understand you do the Ford store, and I'm I'm with Ford, and I would really like to know if there's any way you could help me. And uh, I said, no, oh, no problem. I said, well, we'll make room for you in our in our in our tented area. We had a twenty by forty, so we had a fairly large footprint. I said, we'll make that happen. Uh, so the gentleman, uh, you know, he, he was ecstatic about that. He goes, great, I appreciate it, I really do. He says, I've got this book, we just got it done, I really want to get it down to the show. And this was in April of uh, 20, 2009, and uh, it was John Clore with his wife, Jenny, and they pulled up in their, in their vehicle, and they were stacked with books from wall to wall. And I didn't know who John Clore was. That was the first time I ever heard the name. Uh, but I'm I'm always been, hey, if we can help you, we're going to do that. And so I said, sure, we had space for you. And he had, had a nice layout. He went home without any books. He went home with no books. And so I'm watching over there, and there's people getting his autograph book, and there's people wanting to get any pictures with him. And so I'm going, well, who is this guy? You know, and it's a little side story. I'm sorry, I'm getting off uh, a little bit. And I found out it was John Clore, and more about John Clore. And so obviously it's a small world because John does find himself to be interconnected with a lot of these activities and discoveries. And that kind of leads me into my next question I was going to ask you. And I think I've relayed this story to you and your family. Uh, I was one of the directors for the 50th. And we had determined from the very beginning, the 50th, of course, was going to be a very important event in the milestones for Mustang. And we also knew a lot of people would want to have their special Mustang kind of have a special place in the event. And we had made the decision from the very beginning that all Mustangs are equal. No matter what shape, condition, rarity, we had to treat them all the same. So what that meant was all cars are parked outside. There's no inside areas other than what Ford was creating, which was a timeline garage. And that was going to be one vehicle from every year. Uh, but it was still kind of an open garaged area. It wasn't, you know, totally enclosed. And uh, that was the decision. And I had I had quite a few phone calls for some cars that were considered rare and, and some very upset people that they were not going to get any special recognition for their car. But I get a phone call from John Clore. And John had been working with us in the event, and he kind of knew the situation. He says, Steve, I know we're not supposed to put cars inside, but do you have any space that we could put a car in? And it really needs to be indoors. 
And I said, fine, I got, I do have one. Will this work? And I told him about the media center. They had a theater room. It had an outside door access to put a car in. And you'd have your own, that car would have its own room. And it's a nice little place. And he goes, oh, that'd be great. That would be great. And so I don't think it was until probably later, the very first day of the show, I thought, you know, I wonder what John did. I, I really never knew what the car was. I just took John's word that he needed that space and he got it. And uh, go in, and I met you and your family. <laughs> um, and that was your spot. And I got to tell you, you guys were very popular. Uh, your dad must have had a great time being, and I hopefully you, I'm sure you guys did too. But you were getting all kinds of uh, well, people attention, media attention, Mustang attention. So uh, I kind of thought that was it was a great choice to have your car there. So I wanted, if you would, just tell us a little bit about that experience. Oh, definitely, definitely. It was a great experience with uh, my brothers and my, my dad had a chance to experience. I, I do want to note when we were at Carlisle, it kind of set us up for the, the Charlotte 50th was uh, uh, Donald Farr had done an article in Mustang Monthly that kind of identified the car and dad finding it with the help of, of Rich, my brother-in-law. So that that article kind of got us in the forefront because before we were kind of, dad wasn't hiding it, but just wasn't advertising for security reasons and whatnot. But after we went to the Carlisle and, and got the article out, obviously got all sorts of attention and whatnot. And then we've got got the call from John Clore if we could be at the Charlotte show for the 50th. And there's a lot of logistics involved with it, but we got the trailer down there. Originally, I think we were going to share the, the car in the media center at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Luckily, we, we got the whole room. Our joke was with the brothers is normally we go to like the Indy 500, we have to park outside and here we are coming to Charlotte Motor Speedway, and we get to park right outside the media center and have a car in the media center and have the auditorium to ourselves. But that experience was, you know, we still talk about it today because it was, it was a great experience of, of, of sharing the car, talking with Mustang, you know, owners, and, and just going through, you know, our stories left and right. Uh, it was uh, three great long days, long for my dad, long for us, but we thoroughly enjoyed it. There's so many stories that go along with it. Kind of to give you some background on it, you kind of touched on it earlier. There are people that went to the World's Fair and they only wanted to sit in the Mustang, you know, and, and they waited their turn. We had a, a lady come up and say, hey, I, I think I rode in this one. I rode in a black Mustang as a kid at the World's Fair. Can I touch it? And, and my response is, well, you can sit in it if you want. And she actually sat in it and she actually started crying. I mean, it was just like, wow. Um, but it, it, the, the Magic Skyway and the World's Fair and Mustang, it touched everybody differently. Um, but we were able to share that experience with people that were at the World's Fair. We shared it with countless clubs uh, that were there. That be, uh, Luckily, everybody showed a lot of interest. I, I got interviewed with Motor Week with PBS uh, about the car. Uh, my brother, Mark. Got interviewed, uh, I believe it was Australian show, Men and Machine, that they showed across the pond, if you will, um, on their show. So it was quite a bit of interest. Uh, I think even some of the Ford executives came down and took a look at it and were able to chat. The funnest part where we were able to work with, uh, got to meet Gail Holderman, uh, one of the ones that worked with Lee Iacocca on the design of the Mustang. And I loved hearing his stories of working with Lee and what went on. And, and it was just a tremendous experience. Uh, there was an Ed Kale there that was helping us out in respect to logistics and, and, and the, the space. Um, we had a great time. There was 
there was people who would come in multiple times. Some guy, some some of the families actually bought things for dad. Like dad wanted a new hat. They went out and bought a hat for him and brought it back. Uh, they wanted to take us out to dinner. The list went on and on. But we thoroughly enjoyed sharing the Mustang with everybody. Uh, and everybody had different interests. Um, some were interested in, in in the uniqueness of 64 and a half. One of the things we'd, we'd like to share is we were able to take chalk and outline the, the car itself still had the brackets from Magic Skyway. So there was rebar underneath to kind of hold it to the to the uh, ride itself. And then there was plates that was bolted up underneath. And we were able to kind of outline those in chalk and put a mirror down so you could see them. So it truly had all the all the evidence of it. It was at the, the World's Fair. And some people were really interested in that. Some were on the parts, they were interested in the various parts that were um, the 64 and a half. Of course, some of it was replaced because keep in mind, thousands have ridden in it as part of the ride. So there was some wear and tear uh, shared with us. Some of them, they would take knobs, radio knobs and various buttons and whatnot. So it was uh, it was interesting to, to get some of that feedback. And it was, it was just a, truly a treasure. My dad loved sharing the stories. Well, at one point we were sharing some of the photos from the, um, uh, the World's Fair, and a guy actually stood up and said, well, his dad took that picture. And sure enough, we chatted with him, and he was able to share and give us some evidence. But yeah, he had posted those things on the internet. So I apologize for taking that off the internet, but he said he had posted it for that very reason. But he had a couple pictures of his family and his dad had taken a, with a black Mustang, which is obviously the ones we would capture. But the, the stories that, that, that Charlotte go on and on from meeting Gail Holderman to meeting the various Mustang clubs. One of my big moments was the, uh, the curator of the Ford Museum had serial number one, and he came up and chatted. I, I can't remember his name offhand, I apologize. Matt Anderson. Um, yes. Yeah, Matt Anderson. Yeah. He came up, and we were talking the various things, and, and later I had a chance to get out, so I went down and, and wanted to look at serial number one. And I said, do you mind if, if I take a look at the date time stamp on the parts? Because we had done a kind of a quick review of the ones on our car, just, you know, just to kind of see what what time frame they were built or manufactured. And sure enough, it's funny, he stopped and said, sure, sure, no problem. And he gets out his gloves and puts gloves on. And I'm thinking, <laughs> we've been there three days and we never put gloves on when we touched our car. And it was just, uh, uh, made me think that maybe we need to treat it differently. But he put the gloves on and opened it up and we checked the hood uh, date time stamp and it matched uh, our car, we checked the fenders and it matched, and then we checked the the trunk and they all matched. Um, and it was kind of interesting because there were a few naysayers or ones that are wondering if it truly was or not. But once we saw the date timestamp match books on serial number one, we knew it was in that first grouping and it kind of reassured us that all those, not doubters, but you know, people that were kind of curious, it, it lined up with, it, it was one of the, the first production models made, so. No, that's that's very. It was definitely done very early. Um, if you have a chance, sometime if you go to YouTube and you you uh, search for zero zero one Mustang zero zero one, there is a YouTube video of Matt driving that car. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he says that they drive it once a year, uh, just on on the grounds uh, at uh, you know Greenfield Village area or what have you. But I think they do drive it out once a year. Just, just to kind of give it a little ride uh, for no other reason, no, nothing with an event, nothing with a parade of such. But he just does get it out there. So he and he talks about the car, that car a little bit. And so um, mm. obviously, 
uh, that's it's, it's I'm still kind of finding out, and I'm sure Ford would like. I'd love to find out if Ford even knows why did zero 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 one end up in Canada? Why did it end up anywhere? Uh, you would kind of think that car would not get out of the uh, the hands of Ford, but it certainly did. Such so, but uh, no, I I, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, to the, back to the 50th for a few moments, we had gotten a tremendous amount of requests for interviews. Being one of the organizers, it wasn't, it was, it's about the Mustangs. I would tell people, these, these media folks, oh, you need to go see these people, or go see this people, or go see that, go, go to the Timeline Garage, what have you. And Fox, the local Fox News affiliate, had kept asking me for an interview. And I kept saying, nope, no, I, I don't do interviews. I'm, I'm just the organizer. I'm not, I, I'm not special for this. This is what this is all about the owners and the cars. Finally they said, look, we do, we're, we're gonna do we're gonna do one with a family that owns the uh, 64 and a half uh, World's Fair car. but uh, they actually somehow other kind of tricked me to come down to watch it. Uh, the interview, but they ended up getting me on uh, as a separate interview there because you guys were just, t- uh, my point was being is that you guys almost needed to have a schedule because you. it seemed like you, every time I went by there, you were talking to some folks, whether it be print or TV or what have you, you were you were definitely in demand. And, I, and, that, and that's what it's about. That's why I was hesitant to do any of those interviews because it shouldn't be about me. It was, to me, it was more important that the stories and the information is about the owners of the Mustangs, not about the people who put on the event. It really wasn't, you know, it was great that we're at Charlotte, but it was really important that we have to share your story. And so I kind of kept pushing it off, pushing it off. So I apologize if I kept you guys a little bit too busy, but I kind of got the impression you enjoyed it. I know Gail, you mentioned earlier, he had a blast. I actually asked him afterwards, I said, I said, how did everything go? He said, oh, I had a blast. But he said, I really want to thank you, though. You always made sure I had a golf cart. That was his only prerequisite to come to the event, is he made sure any event he went to, he had to have a golf cart because he wanted to see as many Mustangs as he could versus having to walk and walk and walk. He wanted to drive by, and he, he John would drive him, John Clore would drive him, and I cannot tell you how many people would stop him and ask him to sign their car. Um, it was just, you know, it, he had an amazing approach to it. But, and being such a nice guy, that's that's the neat thing. Because uh, he would definitely share stories and his experiences. But to, And I know, and I can tell you this, he had as much fun looking at your car as you had and talking to him. He would enjoy that the same. He just, he just, he was thrilled with it. So... Those were the things that, uh, you know, people don't realize that he he himself was certainly an enthusiast besides being the designer. Well, I want to kind of skip a couple of years. Obviously, the car goes back to uh, to Pennsylvania. And uh, probably about, what, I want to say maybe three years later, yeah, probably two years, two or three years later, I think I first talked to your brother, Sean. I, I guess because I, I had his contact information about the car coming to the museum. Actually, one trip we had going to Carlisle, we made a little detour and we came up and we visited with your mom and t- and talked about the possibility. And so when we got the word that, uh, yes, we would be able to have the car on display, we were thrilled. And so I, I wanted to thank you for that. It's a car that we cherish having here, to be quite honest with you, because as you mentioned, people will come in, oh, I was at the World's Fair. I drove, I rode in a car. Uh, I don't know which one, but I rode in a car. So sometimes it just, it brings back those memories that people have had from 50 some odd years ago. And it's, that's and that's what's nice about the Mustang hobby. The owners love to share their vehicle with us. 
and share their story because many otherwise many times the car is just kind of put away just not something that the you know the the family does on a regular basis to bring the car out so i want to thank you for that but i'm hoping you kind of enjoy having the car in the museum and sharing it with us oh definitely it, it, it's an honor to have it in the museum and, and i think to be honest with you it goes way back when we first got it out of carlisle we talked where's the best place for this? And we're like, you know, a museum. So we, we looked at some museums and, and there was no, and I was I was kind of bewildered. There was no Mustang museum. I mean, we had the Corvette museum and I think there was a Camaro museum, but there was no truly Mustang museum. And we we're like, you know, wow, where, where do we, you know, where do we go from there? You know, you got the obviously uh, Greenfield Village and whatnot. So we talked about it clear back in 2009 that that's where we wanted because we wanted to share the car with other car people and and that was the best way to do it i mean granted we take it to car shows and whatnot but what better place to have the mustang than a mustang museum with its rarity i mean serial number four makes it rare to begin with and then being at the magic skyway makes it you know a rare find and then uh being a convertible you know adds to it so it was it was only fitting. So when we had the opportunity, I, I think you emailed me at one point and we had talked and then I kind of sent you some information and said, yes, we'd definitely be interested. And then you took it to the next step and, and things came together. So uh, it's an honor to have it there. And every time we go on vacation, we stop down to, to see it and, and kind of go through it, make sure it's still in one piece. Uh, um, ouch, and then others. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, I, I do miss having it here. I had it at my house for the longest time and special occasions, uh, my kids would be in parades and whatnot. We would, uh, you know, be able to, to ride it. Uh, one of my youngest daughter, both my daughters were Miss Johnstown, a small town we live in. And I got the, fittingly on dad's birthday after he passed away, was able to uh, drive her in the parade in the Mustang. And that, that was a, a moving moment for me, uh, just having the car and sharing it with others and then sharing it with my daughter. And, and uh, I know uh, uh, my dad would have been happy to be used in that fashion because as a kid, I, I must have driven his cars and prayed at least uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 times. So his car being in a parade and his granddaughter, you know, being in it and being honored would, would have been a win-win and it would have been a great moment. So it was it was fitting on his birthday to, to have that happen. So I, when I stopped down and see it, I, I kind of I just miss it because, uh, like I said, we, we enjoy driving it around because it was always our daily driver. Well, I, I certainly can understand and appreciate that, but I have to be honest with you. I got to be a little selfish. We love having your car here. Um, it resonates to so many people that we we give a little mini tour to everybody that comes in, and we highlight a few pieces here to, to for them to. We want to make sure they can pay a little bit more attention to and and appreciate. And every time when we talk about, well, we also have in you know in, in this space over here. This is a zero 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 four, and you always hear four. Number four? Yeah. And I go, well, do you know what it is? And some do, some don't. As far as they know it's a Mustang, but they don't know it was at the World's Fair. And when you give them that information, so it's it's a, it's a cornerstone piece for us, to be quite honest with you. Uh, we feel that helps us really help kind of share the story. And that's why I was so anxious, as you could tell, trying to get you onto the podcast, is because while the car itself is a story, and, and, and rightfully so, I think the story humanizes it a bit because of the family and shares the fact that your dad certainly was a Mustang person, a car person, and yet it was used as 
as a family vehicle. And so it's a share. It's, it's kind of a, a story that I think people can relate to and appreciate and, and share because you guys were car guys. It wasn't bought or, or kept because it was rare. It was just a, it's a cool car that your dad liked. And I know your dad liked convertibles. So I'm glad you was able to keep the car together um, and know it will not fall apart with us. Uh, I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, you're taking good care of it. Um, no, we, we do. Well, we have a special, as you know, we have a special room for it. So we really want to make sure that people can enjoy it. I will share with you that we are expanding the museum. This is really shouldn't be going out yet, but I'm going to anyway because we are going to be expanding the museum into that, and so that we have the entire building sometime in early early spring, and so we're kind of thinking about do we want to create a different display area for for the World's Fair car, so we're kind of looking at to trying to even enhance that display because we have so much memorabilia about the car and the World's Fair, we're only share, able to share a, a small small portion of it. And so, uh, and, and, and as you know, we even built a model because we knew we were going to get the car. We built that model because of that. So we had the Fort Pavilion on, the, on our display table. So it's actually, uh, it's meant a lot to us. It's been a key piece and it's because it's a key piece of Mustang history. And so I, I really wanted to thank you and your family for sharing that with us. And I got to tell you, we always look forward when you head, uh, head on your vacation, stop by and see us. We always enjoy it. So we hopefully we'll see you sometime in the near future next year. I, I assume I don't, I, I don't know. Did you come by this year and I was out of town? Uh, we did come through, uh, met with your wife and, yeah. and kind of went through the car. Uh, like I said, uh, we, they were coming back through, I think you were, I can't remember you were in a event, uh, Mustang event. So we, yeah. we missed you, but did called ahead and, and your wife was there. So, uh, we got a chance to see it and, and kind of go through it and, and was able to share with some, uh, other relatives and whatnot that were with us. So it was great, but, uh, kind of want to thank you for this opportunity to, to, to be on the podcast and share the car. I can be honest with you, kind of like I shared earlier, it kind of was a, a dream of ours to get it in a museum and here it is in a museum um, and, and able to share a car that dad, you know, truly loved and spent a lot of time and energy, you know, of all the cars he, he brought out, that was one of the ones he, he definitely enjoyed and talked about the most growing up. We were kind of torn between sharing it for security reasons, you know, serial number four and all this stuff. To, to bragging about it, you know, and when he would brag about it, that meant we could brag about it. So we uh, we enjoyed that when we got a chance to do that. And and like I said, when we first got it out, I said this needs to be in a museum, and here we are, we're in a museum. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Well, no, and thank you, and be sure to thank your brothers and your mother for us. So with that, I, I really guess we need, I do need to wrap it up. Producers kind of looking at me like I'm on a time element, uh, time time situation here. So I really want to thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, hopefully we'll see you soon next year. But uh, we do appreciate uh, your time and coming on board and the cars. So thank you for all, all your help. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye.